Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Peachtree Church. I hope that all of you have been enjoying some amazing Thanksgiving leftovers and getting some good Black Friday deals. Are we good? Like, can we get an amen on that, guys? Okay, amen, amen. Christmas presents. It's not what it's about, but I'm not going to say that from up here. Anyways, I am so excited to be with you because today we are concluding our 16-week series on the book of Romans. And in this series, we have learned that Christians are supposed to be different in light of the gospel. The gospel being the fact that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. And if you're a Christian, you believe that because of this truth, things are supposed to change. Over the past few months, Rich has taught us that Romans can be broken into four categories. What a mess, what a gift, what a God, and what a difference. Romans teaches us about the deep debt of our sin, the gift of God's grace, the love of God that's more powerful than our circumstances, and the difference that the gospel of Jesus Christ can make in our lives. As we conclude with Romans 16 this morning, we are still in that what a difference category. And Paul uses this conclusion to tell the Roman church, as well as all of us in the right here and right now, that Christ's love should compel us to be different. Christ's love should compel us to be different. The grace and transformation that comes from knowing Jesus all start with the very love that brought him to earth and eventually to the cross. Dallas Willard says that Jesus does not call us to do what he did, but to be as he was, permeated by love. Then the doing of what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. Over the past couple chapters, we've seen how the gospel makes this difference in how we handle conflict. It makes this difference in how we relate to government and in how we understand our relationships with one another. Today, we're going to be stepping into what Dallas Willard was talking about, about how the gospel makes the kind of difference that allows the love of Christ to become the natural expression of who we are in the world. Now, there's a lot in Romans 16. I would be lying if I told you that it was just like a short, sweet little book. Like, I mean, it's, it's a bunch of verses. And so this morning, we are just going to be resting within the first 16. This is normally a portion of scripture that people skip over because it's a long list or a litany of names that Paul goes through. And he does this with intentionality to impart his wisdom to the Roman church. But I will be the first to admit that normally when I see stuff like this in the Bible, I just skip over. Because I want those stories or those little nuggets of, of wisdom from scripture that I can put on my fridge. And people will be like, Wes, Jeremiah 29, 11. Yes, that's what I want. So I skip over lists like this and I mentally check out but there is amazing instruction in this list. The other parts of Romans 16 are equally important, but they repeat and sum up themes that we've already been talking about. And so today, I want to invite you to lock in and lean in as we look at this list together. It is long, but as I read it to you now, I want to invite you to ask God in your head and in your heart, what is it about this list, Lord, that will compel me to be different?
because of your love. So let's dive in together, starting in verse 1. Paul says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be near us now. We ask that you would take this list and that you would use it to teach us what you will for us to know. Your voice, not mine. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I wasn't kidding. That's a really long list, right? Like, super long. Um, and as I was reading this, I was wondering to myself, why would Paul end his letter to the Romans this way? Like, that, that's just wacky to me. And I have not written a lot of letters, more like emails and texts, but when I learned about writing letters in English class a long, long time ago, which, I mean, some people in the previous services laughed because they say I look like I'm 12. I'm 31, okay? <laughs> like, but, so I, like, I, on the rare occasions, though, when I paid attention in English class, um, I remembered my English teacher saying that the last part of the letter is typically what you're going to remember most. It's how the author signs off on everything that they've said. And so you have to keep in mind as we read this list that the Roman church didn't receive what we call the book of Romans in individual chapters. They got it all as a letter. And so even though we have separated it out and we've read it in chunks for 16 weeks, when this letter was originally sent, it was read or listened to all the way through. So this conclusion would have been the last thing that a reader saw or heard. If that's the case, then what Paul is doing with these names is a pretty big deal. If it's the last thing that people would remember, it is a big deal. And friends, we have to remember that Christ's love should compel us to be different. And if that is so, in this section of Romans 16, Paul is showing the difference by getting personal with the Roman church. What do I mean by that? 
My wife and I were talking about this, and she brought up that everybody knows that one person in life who you can meet like a thousand times, and they have no idea what your name is. You know, like the Lord bless them and keep them, whatever. Um, I mean, really, they're a child of God, so we shouldn't hate, but come on. Um, And you also, at the same time, know that person who has met you once like years ago and then sees you and greets you by your name as a treasured friend. Doesn't that feel good? Paul names over 29 people in this list of names, and he doesn't forget a single name, not one. In the ancient world, names were incredibly important. Naming someone showed that you cared about them, and and mentioning someone by name in writing was usually reserved for people of a certain class and level of importance. Also, when you said someone's name, you were speaking identity into them because you, in biblical times, were not just saying their name. It was associated with their entire family. And so we should read this list and think about the multiplicative power of the 29 names that Paul gives us. Paul is going way beyond this 29. He's talking about the whole Roman church, all the different branches. And Paul names these people to speak God's identity and goodness into them and to highlight that this is what the church should do for one another as well. We should name one another as important. We should name people in God's love, speaking his identity and calling into them. So let's take a look at a couple of the names to understand this a little bit better together. We're going to start in verse 1, talking about my girl Phoebe. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. The word servant here in the original Greek better translates to mean deaconess. And deaconess is the feminine form of the word deacon. And what are deacons? Deacons were the ones who cared for the church when they were struggling. They had this special leadership role where they led spiritually by stepping into a side-by-side place with people in the same way that Jesus did. And this is something that we still do today, but what we need to understand from this list is that by Paul naming Phoebe this way here, he is speaking this identity into her and the ones that branch off from her. He's saying to everyone who is reading that God has called Phoebe to this leadership role and that she's pretty good at it. In the same way, in verse 7, Paul lifts up two people named Junia and Andronicus, saying, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Other translations of this verse read to say that Andronicus and Junia are outstanding among the apostles. Paul is saying that they are apostles. And again, Paul is naming this identity into Andronicus and Junia. Apostles were the leaders of the church who were sent to minister and start new churches and to preach the gospel of God's good news. Paul was an apostle. And he's saying that Andronicus and Junia were his fellow apostles. They were prisoners with him for sharing about Jesus. He's saying that their ministry functioned in the same way as his and that they were valuable leaders 
to the early church. Paul is clarifying that Junia and Phoebe, who were both women, played huge roles in church leadership as preachers and pastors and caretakers. But that isn't all. Paul is saying the same thing for these names on the list that are Jewish names, for Gentiles, for slaves, for Roman aristocracy. By naming a diverse list of people from different cultures and lifestyles and religious backgrounds, Paul is speaking God's identity and love into them through their names. And what's more, by doing this, Paul is encouraging the Roman church that this is what they are supposed to do. It's like he's using this list to tell people to put aside what makes them different and to focus more on the fact that they worship the same God who has saved them through his love, that the love of Christ should compel them to be different, and not just to the named people, but to everyone who they represent as well. Another cool piece to me about Romans 16 is in the greetings that Paul uses. The Greek word for greet that Paul uses over and over again about 29 times in this list actually literally means to draw to oneself, to draw together. And by using this greeting, Paul is, yes, saying hello to each person in their extended network of people, but he's also saying it in a way that indicates that they should draw together with everyone else. Paul knows them, and he knows their differences. He knows how hard it can be for people who have so many different factors separating them to be drawn together by the love of Christ. And through this greeting, he is jogging their collective memory about the fact that they all have that same love for Jesus. Stop arguing, stop criticizing, draw together. In verse 16, Paul concludes his greeting saying, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This is one of the most common greetings in the early church that everyone who heard would have been familiar with. And one last time, Paul is reminding the Romans that they are connected to all of the other churches who worship the same risen Jesus. And that in all of their diversity and difference, they have to come back to the same place. They have to draw together instead of tear apart. As an example of this, I like to think about the sage wisdom of the, the critically acclaimed film, The Land Before Time. Um, critics have called it a film that was before its time. Uh, I think it fits perfectly in the 80s. Anyways, it's a story about all these little baby dinosaurs that get separated from their families. And in the universe of the film, different types of dinosaurs didn't associate with one another. They had their own way of life. And when the little ones get separated, though, they decide to stick together, to band together, to find their way home. And they realize that in doing so, that despite their differences, they have the same goal and direction. I mean, this is just a silly example from a kid's movie, but it was the exact same thing with the early church. And it's the same thing with us now. We should all be moving in the same direction toward Jesus. Unity is more important than division, just like encouragement is more important than criticism. This simple list of names that is so easy to skip over holds so much power and significance for communicating how the love of Christ should compel us to be different 
as a body of believers. Paul shares this through his personal greetings and by naming the goodness that God has spoken into these 29 people. And that's all well and good, but what does this mean for us as a body of believers today? How do we take in what Paul is saying and become a community of faith who are compelled by the love of Christ to be different than the world around us? I think it's easy to see how Paul was being personal with the things that he was sharing with the Roman church, but how is God being personal with us through these words today? I think Paul lays out three specific things. We can remember, we can unite, and we can encourage one another. First, let's talk about remembering. When Paul's calling out the names of these people, he is inviting them to remember the love of Christ and the new identity that it gives them. He's calling them to remember what it means to love one another and to, in the turn, be loved by God. There are some people on this earth that have photographic memories, and I am not one of them. Like, I need a cheat sheet. Um, but I fully support those that have that ability. And, and wherever you are on the spectrum of memory, we can all understand that we have the capacity and on some level the ability to remember things. That's part of how God created our brains. But how easy is it to forget about Jesus? I want you to think back to a time where you experienced God's love, where it felt tangible and real to you. Just take a moment, think about that feeling, remember it. What would it look like for you to carry that with you every single day? And in the same vein, what are some of the things for you individually that get in the way of that memory? Some of us need notes in our mirrors or our cars to remember Jesus. Some of us get that through scripture reading and prayer or by talking about him in community. All of us, though, can remember Jesus when we behold God together in worship. This weekly gathering here at church is a place where we can remember God's love by bringing ourselves before his glory in true and authentic worship. When I'm done with my sermon, we're going to sing another song. And what if you tried to use that last song, these last moments in worship, to remember? I bet it would be easier to remember God throughout your week if you did so. And maybe some of you haven't had a memorable moment with God yet. But what if you had that memorable moment today? Remember how personal Paul was with remembering each and every person's name on that list? You can start remembering God with the same sort of personal attention as you behold his presence right here and right now. And in doing so, you'll remember the fact that God is always being personal with you. Now let's move on to uniting. If we remember Christ's love through the gospel, then we need to be a people who unite. I'm on a roll of movies today because I love movies, but I think all of us hopefully have seen the movie Remember the Titans. Um, and if you haven't, look, that's your assignment coming out of this morning. Go watch it now. I would bang on the pulpit, but that's not really my thing. Um, if you haven't seen this movie, it is a classic sports movie that highlights people who are divided, but who come together. Racial tensions during the integration of schools come to a head on the football field. But a coach, portrayed by Denzel Washington, who has a vision of what unification looks like, brings them together. And when they come together, the team's unity begins to change the whole town. 
Guys, the church's unity should change the whole world around it. I'm going to say that one more time. The church's unity should change the entire world around it. It should be like Remember the Titans, where a small group of people who chose to be together despite their differences influenced the world around them to see things differently. But it starts with unity instead of starting with trying to be right. If the Roman church had continued trying to win each other over in their different arguments about theology, then this whole church thing would have fallen apart. We would not be here today. The church is supposed to be different than the world. And we are supposed to unite under Jesus and remember his love. And when we do so, we actually are different. At Peachtree, we have a strategy for community called belong. The idea is that you behold God and worship and remember his goodness, and then you belong in community where you can be united with other believers. The thing about community, though, is that it's often full of people that are different than us or who are hard for us to be around. And I think that Paul would argue that that's exactly the right thing for us, that that's what leads to true unity. Think about it in terms of prayer. Uh, Prayer is something that it's just one of many things that you need in order to have a thriving community where you can belong together. Um, But prayer is a really good way for us to see how this works practically. Dallas Willard talks about the power of God through prayer, saying he teaches us how to be in prayer what we are in life and how to be in life what we are in prayer. This means that if we choose unity through praying for people who are different than us or who are hard for us, then that will naturally come out in the way that we think about and interact with them in the real world. If you choose to love someone and how you pray for them, then love will become the way you live. This isn't always an easy process, but it's one that cuts out divisiveness and makes room for the greater love of Christ Jesus. And if you remember the love of Christ before you get to this point, then it compels you forward into a different way of living. And this is just when you think about prayer. Maybe you are going to come out of this service and God will put something on your heart about how you can become more unified with people who are different than you through community. I pray that that's true. Paul affirms that differences are good and that they can push us toward even greater unity because of how Christ's love compels us to be different. Think about your community right now. How could praying for them and praying for all the people who are different than you in it in love transform the way that you see them? What else could God help you do to be a more unified person within your community? Also, if you're hearing this and you're hearing me say words like belong and community and you want to get plugged in, we as a church staff would love to help you find a way to belong. Because honestly, when we belong in community, we together as a church body work on becoming more unified. And this is of vital importance to the health of the church. Okay, so we talked about how remembering leads to uniting and how the church's unity should change the world around it. Now let's keep moving and talk about how these things should help us become more encouraging people and what the result of that encouragement is in the world. Becoming a more encouraging person sounds simple. I mean, it's just about being nice, right? 
honestly, I really believe that this is the most difficult part about being compelled by the love of Christ, the individual transformation and how you interact and think about people. How often do we honestly talk about people the way that Paul does in the litany of names he gives us in Romans 16? It's easy for encouragement to feel fake, and so I feel like I tend to avoid it at times, but genuine encouragement brings healing to the world. My sister-in-law, Sarah, uh, likes to play a game called the compliment game, and it has been a huge blessing to our family doing this, and essentially how it goes is everyone goes around in a circle, and you give a genuine compliment or encouragement to everyone that's sitting there. Paul is reminding the Roman church of the exact same thing, that since they remember God and are united in Christ, then encouragement should be their first impulse rather than criticism. Encouragement draws the church together. Criticism pulls the church apart. The Roman church was a breeding ground for criticism, and honestly, I don't think that we're any different today. We let political and social differences push us apart instead of allowing encouragement to draw us back together. At Peachtree, our strategy for becoming on a journey hits this right at the heart. If you remember God's love by beholding him in worship and unite with people who are different by belonging in a community with them, then you can naturally become a Christian who looks different by encouraging others. Because of the love of Christ that you know, because you've experienced it in worship, and that you have experienced in community by loving other people that are different than you. This is the kind of personal transformation that happens when you are moved forward by the love of Christ. Paul's looking at his brothers and sisters who are part of the Roman church and telling them that there is a deeper way that they are supposed to live. He's telling them that they need to remember, unite, and encourage one another because this will get them to the point where Christ's love compels them to truly be different than the world around them. I was at my longtime friend and mentor Brian Dunnigan's funeral when I found out that I was going to be preaching this sermon. At this service, they read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 15 which says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The simple message of this is that because we love Jesus, we should be moved forward by that love. As I read Romans 16, I couldn't get these two verses from 2 Corinthians out of my mind. The word compel can be a difficult one because if you're looking at it strictly in the English language, it means to force someone to do something. But within our understanding of it as Christians, we know that it means that because we love Jesus so much and so deeply, we have no other option than to be moved forward by his love. It's compelling in a different way. It's the kind of compelling that does what Paul's greeting did, that draws together. This is what I see in Romans 16. Paul is calling the Roman church back to the love that started everything for them, the love of Jesus through his gospel and sacrifice on the cross. 
It's so funny to me because even though 2 Corinthians is a different letter than Romans, Paul is still giving the same call to the early churches, reminding them of the difference that the gospel is supposed to make in their lives. And church, what would our community, our city, and our world look like if we were people who remembered, united, and encouraged, compelled by the love of Christ to be different? All of this is from a list, but the call to us as a body of believers could not be more clear. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for being present with us in this time of worship. I ask that you would help us to be a people who remember, who unite, and who encourage one another because of your great love for us. Please let that move us forward into a new life and transform the community around us because of who we are as a Peachtree Church family, because of you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.